I wanted one. We've been talking, bring you teens up to speed really quickly. And adults, you're in on this this morning, obviously. Uh, we've been talking this week about Bible study. And uh, I don't know uh, what, I guess, kind of upbringing you've had in the church, what denomination you uh, are a part of, um, you know, what kind of Bible uh, uh, pursuits you've been involved in. But we really believe, now hear me on this, we believe that the Bible is critical uh, for living the Christian life. Are you with me, guys? Young man, you with me? Okay. We believe the Bible is critical for living uh, the Christian life. So when it comes down to it, and I'm rather aggressive on this, but see, I'm really not interested in your opinion of what it means to be a Christian. You shouldn't be interested on my opinion in terms of what it means to be a Christian. We're not interested in your parents' opinion. Well, you should be. But, uh, uh, you know, hey, I'm interested in what this thing has to say uh, about being a Christian. Okay? And a couple things we're going to cover this morning. We're going to be looking out of the book of Titus this morning. Okay, we're going to be talking about Bible study. But one of the things we're really, really, and I, I want to stress this over and over. Now listen to me. And, and by the way, just, I look out at you. I'm not like some people that if you don't pay attention and you're not, you're talking with your buddies and you're not, you know, you're just kind of hanging out. I'm going to wake you up and I may even pull you up here to sit. This, is, this really matters to me. This isn't game time. This isn't playing out with water. Uh, this is serious business for me. I will give you uh, respect and treat you as adults as long as you act as, as such, Okay. Fair enough? So I really want you to give me just a few minutes of your time. We're not going to be here forever this morning. But I really believe that what I have to say is important. Uh, and one of the things that I want to stress, and, and adults, parents, I'm open to uh, chat with you about this. And there are some adults that always have a problem with this. Teenagers don't normally have a problem with this just because they don't know a ton, really, about probably what I'm talking about. They probably have heard a little bit of it before. But sometimes I think adults can be confused. We, I do not believe... Okay? I do not believe that the Bible is a rule book. I absolutely, utterly reject that. Okay? I absolutely, utterly reject that. Jeremy Teens, the Bible is not a rule book. Okay? So someone cannot look at you and say, hey, this is how you live the Christian life. Okay? Because if you go home, and I have seen this over and over and over and over again. If you go home and say, I'm going to do it this time, I'm telling you, you're not going to do it. If you go home and say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull off everything that God wants me to pull off. I'm going to do all the things he wants me to do. You're not going to do it. I'm telling you, you're not going to do it. Because Christianity is not a doing thing. Christianity is not the sum total of the activities that I do. Well, I want to be a Christian, so what am I going to do? I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to hate. I'm going to walk old people, ladies across the street. There's no old people here. I want to, hey, I want to walk older, the, hey, old ladies across the street. I want to volunteer. I don't want to mow lawns. I'm going to be nice to my sister, which is relative. And, uh, hey, I'm going to get good grades. Hey, that, those are the things I'm going to do to be a Christian. We do not believe that's Christianity. Christianity is not just doing good things. Christianity is Okay, if you want to know what a Christian is, okay, a Christian is Jesus. And guess who you cannot be? Jesus. You're never going to be good enough to be Jesus. You're never going to pull off Jesus. 
Because the only way you can be Jesus is to be Jesus. So the only way you can be Jesus is to Jesus to come down inside of you and he pulls off Jesus through you. That's not confusing at all, is it? Okay? So we believe, and folks, I mean, we're really serious on this. See, I don't believe, I do not believe that you are to obey the Ten Commandments. And immediately someone always says, okay, well, you're saying it's okay to murder. I'm like, no, dork. I'm not saying that at all. Okay? And I wouldn't say that to you, of course. But obviously, does Jesus murder? No. Jesus doesn't murder. See, the beauty of the Ten Commandments is that when Jesus Christ lives in your life, this week, we're going to be talking to you. Does anybody know the theme of the Teen Camp this week? And it's phenomenal how God has put all this together. But does anybody know the theme of Teen Camp this week? It's the fruit of the... Okay. The Christian life, literally, you are to bear the fruit of who he is. Is, is it the fruit of discipline? Is the fruit of trying hard? Is, the, is it the fruit of talent? Is it the fruit of abilities? In fact, I'll be honest with you, I believe, and, and there's, Tab has got phenomenal talent. Not only big biceps, but he's got phenomenal talent. <laughs> See, one of the difficulties with musicians is there's, it's going to be, it, it, and he'll tell you this, it is a great temptation for him to lean on his talent instead of leaning on Jesus. Because his talent cannot produce what Jesus can produce. So I'm not in, in all my life in youth ministry, I've always been pressed to be, you know, we're looking for a youth, uh, here's what I hear when people have me to come to camp meetings, and I come to camp meetings because I'm a good generational kind of uh, go-between, I relate to the adults, or at least they can tolerate me because of the message, and then the teens like me because I'm younger, and if you don't like me, oh well. But the point is, is that I, I come to these teen camps and they say to me, hey, we want to bring you to camp meeting, we're looking for someone who is dynamic. We're looking for someone who is charismatic. We're looking for someone who is energetic. And I understand the kind of things that they're saying. But you understand dynamics is not going to change you. Keeping your attention is not going to change you. You have got to have something happen in your life this week where you are a different person. Now, you would say, Jeremiah, why are you making a big deal out of this? Because this morning, we're going to look in the book of Titus, okay, at two groups of people. One of them are godly younger women, and one of them are godly younger men. Those are the two groups. If you are, if you call yourself a Christian, listen to me. If you call yourself a Christian, and you are a young person, or a, a young woman, or a young man, okay? These are the characteristics that are to be displayed in your life. These are the characteristics that are to be displayed in your life. Now, the temptation is you say, okay, I've got to do those. No. You can't do those. Well, you just told me that if I'm a Christian godly younger man or a Christian godly younger woman, these are the things that are to be displayed in my life. They are to be these things. So I need to do those things. No, you don't need to do those things. Then you're saying, well, I'm all confused. How am I, how are those things to be uh, accomplished in my life? How are those things to be seen in my life? I'm, I'm not to do them. We believe that a oh, close, are you awake? We believe that a close, intimate walk with Jesus produces those things in your life. So the law is not something you do. The law is something that's written on your heart when Jesus is indwelling in you and you're living in constant response to him in a relationship with him. We believe, folks, that's the holiness message. Okay? I believe that with all my heart. Okay. Now, we're integrating this morning Bible study. We've been talking about Bible study. And Bible study is so simple. There are three basic, and what I'm going to do is walk you through this morning what we're talking about. Uh, when I... Some people ask me all the time, or I get comments all the time. They say, Jeremiah, man, I just, 
I really like how you get into the word and it makes sense. And, and man, you just, you had all kinds of education. And, and they chalk up what I do to education. Okay? For instance, really quickly, I had a guy come up to me. I was in Oregon. And uh, he comes up to me after the service and he says, I'm, I'm blown away. He's my age, 35. He says, I can't believe the knowledge of scripture that you had. At your age, and you've only got saved, you know what, since 10 years ago. He goes, it's just, it's amazing. And before I could comment, he goes, but that's why you went to college. And I thought, okay. Well, I knew this guy, and this guy was a sports stud, okay? He was into fantasy football. I see everywhere. He was into fantasy football. He knew all the teams. He knew everything. Well, I looked at the guy, and I said, man... I said, you, well, I said you, hey, let me compliment you. And he goes, what is it? I said, well, you amaze me at sports. I said, you know just so much about sports. You're into sports. You know all the stats. You know all the players. You know all the people. I mean, it's phenomenal. And before he could say anything about it, I said, but that's why you went to college. <laughs> and he goes, no, I didn't go to the college for sports. I was like, really? He goes, no, I'm just into that. You see what I'm saying? Would you believe me if I told you that I'm just into this? I'm into this. I'll be honest with you. Um, okay, valedictorian of my college class was not me. I was way down at the bottom. He was way up here, okay? I didn't do good in the biology class, okay? I, I, <laughs> I struggle. I'm not that intelligent, Okay? Literally, you do not need smarts to understand this, okay? And I'm going to walk you through how I study every single passage and how I come up with every single sermon. I ask three questions. Number one, if you brought pen and paper, this would be the time to write it down because I know you brought pen and paper not for the point of taking notes or to each other. Isn't that right? Amen? All right. It's amazing. It's almost like I was a teen once. Okay, so... If you want, if you brought pen and paper, I'd write this down. I ask three questions, okay, of every single passage I get into. Number one, first question I ask is, what do I see? Strictly observation. Uh, I use the NIV translation, which is what we're going to be using this morning in this study, just for congruency among all of us. Um, NIV has approximately a sixth grade reading level. Okay. Who here can read at a sixth grade reading level? Raise your hand. Every one of you can study the Bible. Okay? Every one of you can study the Bible. When you ask the question of what do I see, we're going to go through this this morning, by the way. But when you ask the question, what do I see, this is observation. I first started studying the book of Titus. This was a long time ago. It was about seven, six, seven years ago. I was at a camp, and I was teaching and preaching out of the Gospel of John. And uh, these youth pastors came up to me and said, hey, we're really interested in talking about, because I talk about Bible study in terms of saturation, which is immersing yourself in the Word. Just laying around it, soaking in it, reading it, carrying around with you, just getting all wrapped up in the Word. They said, we're interested in how you study the Bible. Why don't you teach us this? I said, I'd love to do that. So about five or six of us got together, and I said, let's pick a book to study. And so we just went through the New Testament. I wanted to get something small that we could begin that week. And they said, hey, what about the book of Titus? I said, that'd be fine. And so for the first week, what we did is we asked the question of what do I see? And we read the book three times a day. It takes about 12 and a half minutes to read the book of Titus. Read it three times a day. Once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once in the evening. 
and read that thing like that all week. I read it like that for three months. Okay? Now, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I want to be really honest with you. First off, um, you guys, especially you adults, and this is honest, you have no pressure on you. You should feel no pressure about producing truth or coming to conclusions. You're not a pastor. Pastors are under, under the weight of, of coming up with three sermons a week. You don't have that. So relax. I meet teens all the time who get into the Word and they're like, oh, but I don't understand. I'm trying. And it's, relax. You're stressing me out. Okay? Hey. You know, relax on the thing. The whole point of getting in the Word is just reading it and saying, hey, I want to come. What do I see in this passage? And just you soak in it. We're going to do that a little bit this morning. Observation kind of step. No commentary work. You're not trying to understand anything. Like if you come across a word that doesn't make sense, skip it. Okay? You're reading. What do I see? Next step. You ask the question. You take what you've seen and you ask the question, what does it mean? That's where if you've taken what you've seen, you ask the question, what does it mean? Now this is really important. Now listen to me. This is not what it means to you. It's not what it means to your grandma. It's not what it means among your friends. It's what the writer meant for it to mean. I had a lady at a camp meeting. I've had a lady and a young teen at a camp meeting because I've always talked about the young teen. But I had a lady at a camp meeting who came up to me and said, I've been in, uh, she was in the book of Philippians and I had a teen also was in, tell me he was in John 3.16. But this lady was in Philippians, the second chapter, the kenosis passage. And she says, I've been in that for a year. And I was like, a whole year? She says, yeah, and it says something different to me every day. Well, I got a problem with that. Because the Kenosis passage says one thing, folks. The young teen came up to me and says, I've been, in the, I've been in John 3, 16 for a year. I'm like, oh, poor fella, you know. <laughs> You're in one of those special classes, huh, you know. And he's like, no, I just, it says something different to me every day. Well, it shouldn't. John 3.16 says one thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Dude, shouldn't take a year. Okay? So when you ask what it means, you're not asking. It doesn't say something different because obviously if the Bible says one thing to Dr. Louder, it says another thing to me, another thing to Eric, another thing to Dan, another thing to Lori, another thing to Nancy, and it says, another, it says something different to each one, every one of us, it really doesn't say anything at all. Okay? What I'm trying to say is, is that when the writer is writing a passage, he's writing it with intent and purpose. You're going to see this in a minute. What do I see? What does it mean? The last step is the most important, and it's taking what you found out, and you're asking the question, what does it change? How does it change me? The whole purpose of Bible study is to be changed. In other words, when you get in a passage of Scripture and you read that thing and you say, man, that's fantastic. I don't know what that means. And you go and you find out what it means. And this is where study, this is where word studies, this is where cultural context, this is where getting on the Internet and, and looking up Bible passages and going up to your pastor and bugging him until he helps you with it. This is where all of that comes into play. And then when you say, oh, this is what he says and this is what he means by that, how does that change my life? That's how I, that's how I study every single passage. Now, you would say, that sounds hard. Well, let's do it together. Titus. In the book of Titus, really quickly, okay? I'm going to speed through this. I know it sounds like I'm going real fast, and I probably am, but it's for a purpose. 
This is not geographically correct. Paul traveled a lot. Say uh, he drops by, I understand, this town called, or the city of Colossae. Uh, He also went to a town of Philippi. He was in a town of Ephesus. Uh, He ministered, we know, in Rome. And, of course, he ministered among the islands of Crete. He would go to these places, and Paul traveled with an entourage, okay? Not MTV entourage, or whatever that is. But he, he traveled with an entourage, a whole group of guys who ministered along with him. And what would happen is Paul would spend an extended period of time, sometimes up to three or four months, at a, at a location, and then he would leave, and he would go to the next place, okay? But when he left, he would oftentimes leave someone behind, whether that would be... And, and, and Dr. Louder read about the number of different people that he worked with, and, and Demas was one of them that he worked with, and sometimes he would leave those guys behind, okay? But he would go, and he would travel from place to place, and he would minister, Okay? What happens is, is after he's been on the road for a while, he would want to know how the church is doing. A year had went by, or three or four months had went by. He'd want to check up on these churches. So he would write back to them letters. And we have records of those letters. For instance, the letter that was written to the, the city of Colossae is a letter of Colossians. Philippi, Ephesus, Rome, Crete. No, Uh, Crete, we have the letter of Titus, because Titus, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, are among the letters that we call the pastoral epistles, because they're not written to individual churches, they're written to individuals within the church, okay? And so what I want to look at is is the letter uh, that was written to Timothy, or excuse me, Titus, who was in Crete. Now, in Titus, Paul is explaining to Titus, who is a leader there, stay with me. He's explaining to Titus, who is a leader there, about the inner workings of the church. Now, we're not going to go through this part of it because it's going to be hard, but just for the time's sake. Paul divides the church up into six groups of people. Okay? If you have your Bibles open to Titus chapter 1, you're going to note that verses 1 through 4 is an introduction. In verse 5, down through verse 9, he gives instruction to the first group of people. Someone give me the name of that group. Holler it out. Elders. That's from chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. They are elders. And specifically, they're to deal with the rebellious people in verses 10 down through verse 16. Okay? That's instruction to elders. Which is phenomenal. I'd love to talk to you elders about that. And when he gives instruction to the elders, as a side note, he calls them elders and overseers. And, when he, and there's two different names for the same person. El, they're in both an elder and an overseer. They're also instructed to be blameless as being an elder and blameless in being an overseer. Elder has to do with family relationships. Overseer has to do with the church. You know what the primary responsibility of an elder is? Of a, of a leader in the church is? His family. The number one responsibility is his family. That was huge to me. No, that's a different, that's a different soapbox. Okay, these are the characteristics of an elder. Chapter 2, okay, and I'll give you the verses just for time's sake, because normally if you read this and read this and read this, you would catch on. But in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, you have a group. In verses 3 through 4a, you have a group. Verses... 
4b through 5, you have the group. Verses 6 through 8, you have a group. And verses 9 through 11, you have, uh, have a group. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, is what group? Older men. Verses 3 through 4a. Older women. Verses 4b through 5. Younger Yemen. Yemen, where are you? From Ireland or something? What are you talking about? Okay. Younger women. He got them confused together, didn't he? Yemen. Okay. Verses 6 through 8. Younger boys. Okay. Verses 9 through 11. Slaves. I was teasing you on the boys thing. You didn't get it. Okay. Younger men. Now, if I were to ask you primarily... What two groups would you guys belong in, or what two groups were in this place? What would you say? And don't say, last camp they said slaves and elders. I was like, no, close, but no, no. Primarily, the group that we want to look at this morning are, and by the way, we did that at breakneck speed, but that is a division of the first two and a half chapters of this book. And that's in a what do I see kind of section. There's no commentary work there. There's no scholarly work done here. You don't have to go to college to be able to do this. You read it. And and we did this. And after I came to that conclusion, basically studying the book of Titus, I said, man, that's incredible. The book of Titus. Paul says, hey, you're going to have six different groups. And he does this in Titus and Timothy. In every congregation, you're going to have basically six groups that are present. Okay, six groups that are present. And he divides it up like this. And then I thought, and at that time, by the way, up to the age of 33, you were considered a younger man. So at the time I was a younger man. So I said, hey, I'm really interested in what a younger man looked like. Because I struggled. I struggled going to teen camps and I would sit in these, kind of, in these kind of settings. And everybody had their opinion of what it meant to be a godly person. Well, in order to be a godly person, you have to dress like this. In order to be a godly person, you've got to part your hair like this. In order to be a godly person, oh, you can't have these kinds of things or these kind of things or what, you can't have, you know, those kind of things or, you know, you have to wear this kind of deal, you have to walk this kind of way, oh, talk this, listen to this kind of... I got tired of all of that. Because what I found is every area of the country is different. I mean, Pennsylvania is night and day from... Just about everywhere, really, if you come down to it. But, I mean, and then, hey, Kentucky is, is night and day from other places. And Indiana, and I live in constant culture shock. I will leave this next week and I'll go to northern Michigan. They're a different world, okay? I'll leave from there and I'll go down to Louisville, Kentucky for a few days. Then I'll leave from there and I'll go down to Chattanooga for a few days. And then it's like on and on and on. And it's, I'm in culture shock. And everywhere you go, it's just a little bit, there's, I got so tired of that. See, I want to know when it comes down to it, what does the Bible say about being a Christian? Well, if you really want to know, okay, teens, if you really want to know what it means to be a godly younger woman and a godly younger man, he says it right here. I want to walk through these with you over the next couple days. We're going to start, okay, these are the two groups. And just because he mentions in the verse, women first, younger women, we'll start with the younger women. But it's important for the younger men because... Literally, in seeing the younger women, you see the kind of woman you want to be with. 
Okay? And when you see a younger woman, you're seeing how they are to be treated, how God views them, guys, so they're really important. Meaning, girls, if you see guys that are falling asleep and not paying attention, I'd be leery of them. Seriously, I'd be leery of them because they're not concerned about how God sees you. That's a problem. So we want to look at Titus chapter 2, verses 4b through 5. And I'm so confident... I am so confident that you've got this what do I I see section down that you can give me what you see in the passage concerning the characteristics of a godly younger woman. Now, I would like every one of us to use the same translation at this point. Okay? I would like all of us to use the same translation because if some different translations, you're going to have the same thing mentioned uh, more than once up here. And we'll get to all that later. So, someone give me, if you'd be willing... A godly characteristic of a young woman. And I'll write it up. Yes. They are to love their husbands and kids. That's not goats. That's children. Kids is a baby goat. Yes, sir. They are to be self Controlled. Someone in the back. Don't make me call on you. Busy at home. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. Young women are to be busy at home. Yes. Live wisely. What? That's, that's not the NIV translation. I think live wisely is... Uh, I think it's the word kind. Yeah. NIV, another one is kind. Thank you, Tab, even though you didn't raise your hand. Okay. All right. Yes, ma'am. Oh, that's this one. They feel love themselves. Where is that in your Bible? This is a great point. That's a good... Do you hear what she said? What's your name? Ashley? Ashley's all. Ashley said, younger women should feel loved. Who here would disagree with that? No one would. But there's a point that needs to be made, Ashley, is when you're doing a Bible study, again, no offense. Okay. I don't care what you think. No offense. Okay. Because we do, we've been in churches where the older ladies said, well, they need it. I'm like, hey. I don't care what you think. I'm tell- I don't care what you think. Well, today, I think, I don't care what you think. Okay, so Ashley says younger women need to feel loved, and they do. But I'm interested in this study at what Paul thinks. So I want to know. I don't know. I don't necessarily want to know what you guys think. I care what you think, but just not right now. In about 45 minutes, I will. Fair enough. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Self-controlled, and what was the other one? Pure. Thank you. The adults aren't sleeping after all. All right. Okay. Pure. And yes, uh, on the end. Subject to their husbands, hallelujah. Okay. Amen. All right, is there anything else? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Chase. <laughs> this is not the time for joking, young lady. <laughs> 
No, I'm teasing you. That's a different translation, and we'll get to that in a minute. Thank you. Yes? No, that's for the young men. That's in verse 6 through 8. Yes? There's two more in there I know of. No maligning. You know what malign means? Well, we're not in that section yet. We're going to get to what do you mean in the next section. I'm just testing you. You're with me. Right on. Let me ask you this. Are younger women to be trained? Where does it say that? In verse 4. And who are they to be trained by? You mean, hold on. Women aren't to be trained by their husbands? Are you sure? That's not what my dad showed me. Wow, interesting that a man doesn't know how to be a woman. I don't don't believe it. (laughs) Trained by, now you just said older woman. So if I want to be a godly younger woman, I just go out on the street and find any older woman and she'll teach me. So I need to be trained by godly older woman. Okay. Which has to do with mentoring maybe? Interesting. Godly older women. Those are the characteristics that Paul gives us for, for the characteristics. Now listen to me, girls. If you are, you awake? I'll help you. If you are a younger woman and you say, I am a Christian. Now listen, and listen, listen, listen. If you say, I am a Christian, I love Jesus. And we look here at the characteristics of a godly, young Christian woman. And you say, I want to be a Christian, but I'm not interested in this. No big deal and no pressure. Just stop calling yourself a Christian. Okay? Because this is what a Christian young woman looks like. And if you're not into this, that's okay. Just don't call yourself Christian because you're not. Because this is what it means to be a Christian. Now, what we have normally at camps is we go to certain camps where women have been abused, where they've seen abuse, all kinds of problems, and they look at this and say, there's a couple things up there that I've got some serious issues with, Jeremiah. And I want to be a Christian. I want to love Jesus, but I have a problem with this. And if this is what a Christian looks like, I don't know if I want to be a Christian. Anyone see anything up here they might have a little bit of problem with? Well, hold on, Ashley. Good night. (laughs) Did you see that? I'm just, don't take it out on me. I just wrote down what Paul said. All right, Ashley, what, what do you have problems with up here? Subject to their husbands. I don't know why. I didn't even th- think that one would be a problem. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Keep thy wrath at bay. Anybody else have one they have a problem with? Yes. Really? Interesting. Anybody else have a problem? Yes. That's children. Okay, we'll explain that. Anyone else? Yes. Busy at home. I don't normally have too much trouble with this. The Bible's not saying you have to have children. Okay? But what, and we're going to get to some of these in a second. But normally, the ones we have problems with are these and these. Okay, these two. Okay? Now, the first step of, ask, ask, uh, of Bible study is asking the question, what do I see? The first step of Bible study is asking the question, what do I see? Okay, you, and basically, now listen to me. What academic work did we do in this step of Bible study? None. If you can read 
And again, teens, I get, I get really bent out of shape with you guys on this. I mean, hey, I care about you. You're the generation I'm going to walk with for the next 40 years of my life, whether you like it or not. I'm, you're the generation that God has called me to link with. I believe that with all my heart. I love you. I love your generation. I want to give myself to your generation. Okay? I have frustrations with your generation, as I have frustrations with mine. Because I hear you say, well, the Bible's too hard to understand, which is a load of untruthfulness. Okay? And how do I know that? Because you can play some of the video games that thinking Einstein couldn't play. And you conquer certain things. It's just unbelievable. We were in Walmart yesterday. I had to go and get a couple things. And there's these seven-year-old kids that were conquering EverQuest. I'm like, what the crazy? That's not... And they were blowing away Guitar Hero. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And they, they can do that, but they can't understand the Bible? See, we would call that a cop-out. Call that a lie. See, if you, spend enough, if you spend as much time in this as you do the other things, you can understand it. The problem is you don't see the need for this or the value in this. I'm hoping that'll change after this week. So the first step of Bible study is asking the question, what do I see? Simply observations, okay? The second step is asking, taking what you've seen, which is this right here, and asking the question, what does it mean? Asking the question, what does it mean? So we're asking what these mean. Now, are we going to ask them what they mean to our parents? No. Are we going to ask them what they mean to our grandparents, our preachers, our pastors? We want to come to grips with what Paul means. What does Paul mean by this? And you're going to, and by the way, if it had children up here, children come under the authority of their parents. Okay? So I'm not talking about not coming under the authority of your parents. Let's walk through these. Uh, The first one, some of these that are really easy. uh, Self-controlled, I'm going to deal with this when we get to the guys. Because guys are called to be self-controlled as well. So we'll skip that one. Uh, To love their husbands and kids. It's not a declaration that you have to have kids. But what it's saying is the number one. Are you with me, everybody? The number one priority in a woman's life is her husband and her children. Period. That is your number one priority. That is your God-given calling. Your number one priority is your husband and your children. Okay? It's really significant. And it's interesting that Paul says that we are to love them. Now, I struggle with this term love. There are five different Greek words in the Greek language for love. In English, there are just one. I'm just Jedi mind trick. I'm just teasing you a little bit there. Okay, Just one. Just love. Love is the only one we have for love. Okay, We have one word for love. In Greek, we have five. There are three used in our Bible. Can you guys tell me what they are? Agape. Good. It's another one. Phileo, very good. Phileo. Another one. Eros, my favorite. Okay. I'm married. That can't be my favorite. Okay, so we have agape, philo, and eros. Agape means covenant love. It's the kind of love that the Father expresses to the Son and that God expresses to us. It is love that is beyond emotion, the love of choice. The love, of, the love of being. I choose to love you. It's the kind of love that's beyond feeling. It's, it's covenant kind of love. Okay, it's very deep. Phileo. It's where we get our city in Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. Okay? It's also the root word of uh, phileo. Brotherly love is the Greek word friend. So it can be also friendship love. Eros is, we're adults, right? Eros is erotic love. 
or romantic love. Okay? Husband and wife stuff, you're going to love it one day. Okay. <laughs> romantic love. It's the feelings that I had towards my wife. God ordained, approved. It's wonderful. Three types of love the Bible talks about. Now, which love do you think that the women are commanded to love their husbands with? <laughs> the guys are going, Eros, Eros, Eros. No, <laughs> no, no, okay. No, I prayed for that too, but when I looked at the word, it was not. Okay, it's not Eros. Which one do you think it is? Adults? Agape is what I thought, but it's not. So it's worse than Eros. Your wife is to love you like a brother. Praise the Lord. Okay? Brotherly love or friendship love. And literally, brotherly love or friendship love means that you're to love your neighbor as your... So literally means the number one priority of a wife is to put her husband and her kids before herself. Guys, you got to hear me on that. Okay? Young ladies, literally, when you get married... If you get married and you have children, you are to put your husband and your wife, your husband and your kids, your husband and your children before yourself. Okay? That's what that means. Uh, busy at home is, is also fairly easy to describe. You need to know, listen to me, that there's been a... Girls, wake up, please. Okay? Busy at home. This should matter to you girls. Okay? Busy at home. You need to understand that, first off, there's been, uh, I, I'll be honest with you, I think there's been oppression in the church ranks over women. And I think women, uh, one of the things I noticed as soon as I became a Christian and I began to go to church, that it seemed like, and the world hates this, that oftentimes you have men here in the church and women are here. You understand that's not biblical, right? And I know that grinds against the grain of certain denominations and certain cultures, and I've prayed about it, and my attitude towards that uh, is I don't care. I, don't, I, I have to preach the truth on this. Jesus was an advocate. Paul was an advocate for women's rights. I did a study in Genesis chapter 1, and it says God created male and female equally. They were both created in the image of God. They did not create man in his image and then woman in the image of man. That is a lie. I've heard, believe it or not, I've heard that taught in a camp meeting. And of course, I didn't stand up and, and, and refute it. Uh, I should have. because It says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, that God created man and woman in his own image. Male and female are in his image. Okay? So this is not, girls, listen to me, and what you hear, girls, is that women are, are less than, they're to be kept in the home taking care of the kids, okay? And that they have no place in the church and no authority in the church. Well, you understand, Paul did not think like that. Paul had some instruction for women in certain areas of the community in which they lived, certain areas of the country, of their world where they lived, where you had women prostitutes and women preachers, and that was beginning to gravitate in the church, and they were seeking a model for Christianity, and Paul aggressively went after that. But you understand, I think it's Philip had four daughters. It's either Philip or Nathaniel with the disciples had four daughters, and all four of them were preachers. Which one was it? Was it Philip or Nathaniel? Do you remember? I think it was Nathaniel, actually. They all prophesied, which means preached. Okay? So you understand busy at home doesn't mean stay in the house. <laughs> Come on. Okay? Get back in the kitchen. That's not what it means. 
Let me ask you some questions. In their culture, and get this, I'll just be quite frank with you, girls. Did you know that in Jewish culture, you were worth just a little bit more than cows? You were just a little bit more, not much more. A little bit more than cows. And that's because you could provide an heir to a male. It's true worth. And that's the product of sin, you understand. And that's why Jesus was constantly coming against the disciples and leaders of Israel and how they treated women. And all the deals about giving and taking in marriage were underneath that umbrella. The idea about marriage in heaven is not addressed. That's about how women are to be treated. That's real significant. You're not property. You're not objects. You're not created for men. Okay? So the idea of busy at home is literally, in their culture, women were in the house. But Paul says, be busy where God God puts you. In other words, the people in his day just didn't sit around and watch Jerry Springer. Hey, I mean, or soap operas. I mean, they got in and they they were busy in the home. They were productive in the life work that God gave them. So this is not, are you with me? This is not a directive for you to stay in the house. In fact, I believe in this culture right here, some women, (laughs) majorly, uh, what I'm talking about is the women of preachers. If the women stayed at home, the preacher would starve. How many pastor's wives work outside the home? How many many of your pastor's wives work outside the home? Several. Why? Because poor Dr. Louder family would starve to death. Someone has to foot his bills. So, hey, that's, that is busy at home. Literally, the idea of busy means to care for, to take charge of, to take the leadership of. Are you with me on that? It's real significant, okay? I'm not talking about abandoning the husband and kids. That's primary, first thing that he says. But you're to be productive wherever God puts you. Next thing. Now, I want to talk about a couple of things. We're going to get to these last. Trained by godly older women. We'll get to that last. Malign, we'll get to that last as well. These three right here, this is fantastic. These three right here are linked together. And this one I want to talk to you about over the next 10 minutes, really quickly. You with me? It's really significant. Kind. The word kind, and this is so, this is why Bible study is important. I want, to, I want you to give me some definitions of what you think it means to be kind. When, when Paul says, hey, the Bible says, girls, you're to be kind. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yes. Nice. What does that mean? You think kind is being expressed in love? Kind of thing? Excellent. Good insight. Kind. I thought nice. Yes. Compassionate. Yes. Caring. Those are all the kind of things. Yes. Respectful. Those are all the kinds of things I thought kind meant. Do you know that's not at all what kind means? You look up the Greek word for kind, what you find is, is that the Greek word for kind means, you can look this up in any lexicon, the Greek word for kind means distinguishable. Can't spell it. Distinguishable. Yes, I can. D-I-S-T-I-N-G-U-I-S-H-S-B-S-N. Okay. (laughs) Distinguishable. Literally, that's what it means to be kind. (laughs) Phenomenal. And I was like, what? Why didn't they just say Distinguishable. Because literally the idea of kind is, is you are to be distinguishable among others. Get that. You are to stand out. Girls, hear me on this. There is to be no question when looking at you. There is to be no question when looking at you that you belong to Jesus. Now that goes hand in hand with this idea of purity. Okay? It goes hand in hand with this idea of purity. Yes, ma'am?
Say that again. Um, well, no. Well, it's not that it's not enough. The word distinguishable is literally linked to these two terms, meaning that you are to be distinguishable in these contexts. See, we think of kind as nice. Oh, she's so nice. And one of the things I heard is, oh, good uh, to be a godly Christian woman. How do I know she's a Christian? Oh, she's so submissive. She's so, she's so easygoing and she's so calm. That's not at all the biblical idea of this word. Now, women are called to be submissive, but so are guys. That's not the idea of this word. You say, what does he mean by distinguishable? That is seen in light of this word. So that's a really good point, but that word is seen in light of this word. So this word is distinguishable. The word pure is also misunderstood. This really angers me. What is the word? Well, first off, how many girls here have purity rings? Raise your hand. One. How many people have heard of purity rings? Tell me, hey, brother, tell me what a purity ring is. Stay pure until you get married, which means you're going to abstain from sex. Most of the time when I heard this term used, it's always about, oh, don't have sex. So that, seriously, that's what I hear about this term. You realize that that is a butcher of this term? And that you girls could never have sex before you get married and you still not be pure. Because purity is not about the abstinence of, of sexual relations. That's not what this word means. And this is phenomenal. You know what the, word, uh, you know what the Greek word for pure means? One of two words. Holy. It's the Greek word hagias. Which has nothing to do with hogs. But pure can either be translated holy or sacred. In this context, it's sacred. It's the same word. Stay with me, guys. It's the same word that's used to describe the instruments that were used in the temple. They were, they were dedicated solely for God's service. Think about that, girls. They were dedicated solely for God's purposes. They had cups back there that were used to catch uh, the blood of the sacrifices or that were used to hold wine for wine offerings or, or used for dishes of plates to put the meat that was cooked and you put the meat in and it was offered to God. See, priests weren't back there like, hey, I need a cup. Grab me one back there. Yeah, that'll be fine right there. Yeah, the one. No, that's not what that thing's used for. That thing is reserved solely for God's use. In fact, it was so serious that when a high priest went behind the curtain to do all those kind of deals, what did he wear around his waist? Does anybody know? A rope. Why would he wear a rope? In case he messed up on something, got a little careless with something, took a little bit too lightly, he might die. And then they all be like, I'm not going in and getting him. You go in and I'm not going to get him. So they just pull him out of there. Because that was serious stuff. And you understand, girls, that is imagery that God uses to describe you. You were not created for men. You were not created for men. God did not create woman for Adam. Well, he's lonely and bored. Give him a woman. That's pathetic. That's ungodly. That's not how you were created. You were born created for God. And guys, anytime you look at a woman... Okay? Anytime you look at a woman and she turns into something other than what God created her for, you twist her for your own purposes, you've just looked at her in a way that God did not create her and you've, sin has been born in your eyes. 
Which is why Jesus looked at the leaders of Israel and said, anytime you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. So purity has nothing to do with, well, I don't have sex before marriage. Purity has to do with the totality of your being and how you present yourself, how people see you. They should distinguish you from other girls. I'll give you an example of this. This is a number of years ago. I was preaching at a church in northern Indiana. And I went in as a huge church. They had all kinds of literature. And they had some new things for teens. They had like a, you guys seen like the teen magazine that's like a Bible? It's like a Bible in a magazine form. They had that thing there. All this different stuff. Well, on one counter, they had this little book that was um, for, uh, it was like a teen. You know what a guidepost is? You guys know what a guidepost is? The adults do. do. But it was, a, it was a guidepost for teenagers. Okay? It was like a little magazine for teenagers. Christian magazine. In it, they were doing an interview for then what was a Christian band. And the Christian band name was Destiny's Child. Anybody heard of that band? Who was the lead singer of that band? Beyonce, Beyonce Knowles. Beyonce Knowles. And it was interesting to me and that they, uh, the one who was doing the interview just asked all the right questions. It's phenomenal. The interview said, interviewer said, Beyonce, how do you reconcile the way that you dress with the message that you sing about? And this is what Beyonce said. Beyonce said, the way I dress has nothing to do with my, um, my relationship with Jesus. Because the way I dress is simply about my job. Now, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Because, see, I have a job that doesn't have anything to do with my walk. I rob banks. Yeah. And it doesn't have anything to do. Really, it doesn't have anything to do with my, my, my ministry. It's just to make ends meet. It's just my job. Yeah, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Which is why they're no longer a Christian band. And what was so sad is Beyonce Knowles, Britney Spears, and there was a couple others during that time were making, oh, and uh, what was her name that married Nick Lachey? Jessica Simpson. They were, all three of those girls came out and said, we're taking a stance for purity. You remember that? Yep, we're going to be pure. I'm going to tell you something. I will never, ever, I've got a young daughter, I will never take my daughter and point to those three girls and say, that if you want to be pure, that's what you need to look like. Do <laughs> you think they look pure to you? So you're telling me then, you're telling me then that you realize that purity goes beyond just merely not having sex. You think purity would have to do with maybe the way you dress? You think it would have to do with maybe the way you talk? The music you listen to? I don't think you're kids anymore, so I won't talk to you like kids. I meet teens all the time who come to camp and they dress like an object. Teen girls who come into the camp and they do not pay attention. And most of the time it's because they do not have a mentor that's a godly older woman. And their bodies are changing and you're developing. And the way that the world wants to market you is as an object. And so you dress yourself clothed like the world. And a lot of times you don't even know any better. And what happens is if you dress like an object having clothing that accentuate your features, you're going to attract guys to you who are looking for that. If you don't dress like an object, you won't be treated like an object. And I've had girls that come to camp and they don't listen to me. And they're into the hot guys and into the good-looking guys. And I ask them, are they a Christian? They say, well, they started going to church. Because that's what a Christian is, mom and dad. And so they start coming to church. 
and he's going out for her for one reason, because she's hot, and they end up going too far, even if they don't have pregnant, get, she, even, even if they don't get pregnant, and then he dumps her. And then she comes to teen camp and cries on my shoulder. And you know what I tell her? It's her fault. Every bit of it, it's her fault. You know why it's her fault? Because you never should have been with that guy in the first place. And I'm telling you, these three things, so distinguishable among, folks, this is a hard, this is the idea, I've been working with teens for 10 years. For 10 years. And I've seen this one thing. Okay? Purity is you were created, you are not an object. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. My wife does not belong to me. And what's sad is even in the church, I have even seen in the church where some, and by the way, this can even happen, women can be taken advantage of even in marriage. Because I have seen in the church where men, even in the church, treat their wives as objects. Whether that would be sexual objects or like I treated my wife as an object for the first couple years in our marriage. You'd say, how'd you do that? Well, yeah, she was an object uh, to watch my kids while I ministered. And she was to wear the right kind of clothes and learn how to play piano and sit there and say, amen, praise the Lord, just right. You know, she was an object. And praise God, I had a minister that stepped in and said, Jeremiah, your wife's going to leave you unless you turn around. Then he said, I would already left you. Because she was an object. You're not an object. God created you for his purposes. Please believe that. And that directly, in the last one, before we just touch on those, that, that links into this. Subject to their husbands does not mean less than. Literally, you were built, girls listen to me, you were built to be subject to a husband. You were built that way. You can't avoid it. You can say, I'm not going to be subject to my husband. Yes, you are. If you ever get married, you will be. Because you don't know what subject means. Literally, it means that you will be with a man someday. With the husband will be the head of your household. Now, he doesn't explain it here to Titus because he's writing to Titus and Titus already knows this. But to the churches in Galatia, he explains this. And in Ephesians as well, I think. He says that husbands are to be head of their wives as Christ is head of the... Let me ask you some questions regarding this. Did Jesus ever use the disciples for himself? Did he ever treat them like objects? Did he ever control them? He ever manipulate them? He ever force them to do what they didn't want to do? You need to be with a guy. You need to attract to yourself the kind of guy that recognizes that you belong because you're distinguishable among others, that you belong to Jesus. And you're going to attract a guy that comes to you and says, I see that you belong to Jesus and I see that you're used for his purposes. And how can I be used in, how can I, if I could come together and be with you, how could I be used by God to make you all that he wants you to be? And I'm to wash my wife, my wife with the water of the word and I'm to pour out my life I am to be Jesus in my family. I am responsible as the head of my household to be the first one in the family that looks like Jesus, which means I'm the first to say I'm sorry. I'm the first not to get my own way. I'm the first to pour out my life. I'm the first to say it doesn't have to be about me. I'm the first to give up my rights. That's this. Are you with me, girls? That's the kind of man that God wants you with. And every time I don't look like Jesus, that's when we have problem in, our, in, in my marriage. And I'm telling you, there are good-looking, godly Christian men out there like that. There are so few of us. But you really just have to look for them. Okay? Isn't that right, Dan? 
There's so few of us out there. You got a problem with that? And I'm telling you, if a guy does not treat you like he, you are the queen of the world, dump him. Dump him. Because you do not want to be with a man someday in your marriage that treats you less than Jesus treats you. And a lot of this will help if you find someone other than your friends. I've talked to girls that say, well, hey, uh, they, they say, I've been struggling with some of this and I've talked with people about it and they've been helping. Who have you been talking to? Oh, my friends. <laughs> All three of them who don't go to church, but we really begin to get using our minds. And our we... Come on. Find someone who's not going to agree with you all the time. Unbiased. This does not mean trained by older women. Well, you need to wear your, your, your you know, your, <laughs> I won't go into clothing, okay? That's not what we're talking about. You know, we're not talking about that. I guarantee you, if you went up to any of the godly older women on this camp and said, listen, I'm really struggling with a couple of these things. I know that you love Jesus with all your heart. And you may do your hair different than me, and you may dress different than me. And I'm certainly sure we do different things on Friday nights that, you know, hey, we're not like that. But could you give me some insight in my walk with Jesus concerning this? And I guarantee you they would do that. And I have three or four guys like that in my life. Old guys, really old, like Dr. Louder, that I come up and they really... <laughs> I have a couple older men in my life, and Dr. Louder is not old. I have a couple men in my life, like Dr. Louder, who I come to and say, hey... I'm having a problem in my marriage. Where am I, where am I messing up? That I can seek godly counsel on. And I guarantee you, he has people like that in his life. Okay? So this is really serious. Now, the word malign, you know what the word malign means? Here's the context. What Paul does, last thing, Paul gives you all of these things. And he says, girls, listen to me. Look at me, girls. He says, these things are to be in your life so that no one will malign the word of God. Because this is the word of God. Not the word of Paul. This is the word of God. You need to live like this so you won't cause anybody else to malign. You'd say, what does it mean to malign? You know what the literal translation of the word malign is? Blaspheme. What's the one sin you cannot be forgiven of? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is blasphemy. Yes, ma'am? Oh, sorry. Blasphemy. It literally means, good question. Blasphemy means to treat cheap. It means to treat cheap. What it means is, girls, you walk out of here, let's say you've been coming to this camp, let's say you're in senior high, and you walk out here and say, whatever. You've just treated this cheap. And you're going to cause someone else to look at you and say, well, if they're not into that, and they're Christians, I don't have to either. And you'll cause other people to malign the word of God. Third step of Bible study is asking, what, to, how do, what does this change? What does this change? Which is the most important step of Bible study. What we did is we listed out what we saw in this passage. Then we asked what Paul meant by it. And we used the resources that are available to us in this day. The Bible study books, the dictionaries, the online tool, uh, uh, all those kind of tools. And we found out what this meant. And then I sit, sit back and say, hey, for me, I sit back and say, wow, where am I not treating my wife like this? Where am I demanding my own way? Where am I stubbornly sticking to my viewpoint instead of getting in the perspective of my wife? Where does my wife not look like this? And I can't control her and bring it about in her. And by the way, listen also, 
I do not want, wake up girls. I do not want you to walk out of here. I do not want you to walk out of here and say, I've got to do that. Because you can't. You can't do this. This is not a to-do list. Listen to me, last thing. This is not a to-do list. This is not a to-do list. You're going to say, well, then how? I thought I'm supposed to do that stuff if I'm a Christian. No, you're not. The next time you're sitting in any kind of devotional study or anybody, one of your counselors looks at you and says, you need to do this. Say, hey, I'm not doing it. Talk to Jeremiah Bullock. He's right over there in the stinky cabin. Okay, the toilet's backed up. Go talk to him. Okay? I'm not doing it. And it's better than a dead motorhome. I'm not complaining by any means. Okay? Say, I'm not doing it. Because Christianity is not a doing thing. And then your counselor's going to look at you or, your, or someone else is going to look at you and say, well, hold on. If you're not going to do that, how's that going to be in your life? You're going to say, I'm going to get so wrapped up into Jesus. I'm going to give Jesus such control of my life. I'm going to be so just dead face after him, wrapped up into him, running after him, seeking after him, that he's going to produce these things in my life. And when I get wrapped up into Jesus and walking hand in hand with Jesus and falling in love with Jesus, one day I'm going to begin to wake up and these things are going to be taking place in my life. And if these things are not taking place in your life, I would question your walk with Jesus. Because you're to walk every day hand in hand with Jesus. And I listen as teens come down and cry on my shoulder and cry about this. And I don't want to be this way. And I want to be this way. And I'm tired of struggling with this. And I'm tired of struggling with that. Are you walking daily hand in hand running after Jesus? Because if you're running daily hand in hand after Jesus, embracing Jesus, all mad up about Jesus, sitting in the service on the edge of your seat, focused on Jesus, you're not going to have any problem, guys. We believe that. Because these are not things that you do. This is to be who you are. And I want that in my life, man. And I'm telling you what, I'm washing my little 10-month-old in this. At least once a week, I set her down in her carriage and I get on my whiteboard and I'm like, now listen to me, put the pacifier back in your mouth and be quiet. Now you're to be and I'm walking over this. I'm washing her in this because this is really important stuff. Okay. You have any questions or insights, uh, constructive criticism? Adults, we're wide open on this. You have any comments or... Dan, you have any plugs or any insights or comments? Oh, tomorrow. Oh, you're going to be in Erie. Don't skip. It's all right. We'll deal with the boys uh, the next time I get you. Okay. The boys are really significant. Yes. Oh, hey, this isn't my material, man. If it was my material, it would be about paying the evangelist more, putting money in his go can, you know, washing his motor home. That's what I'd be preaching on. I'm telling you that right now. Okay. So this isn't my material. This is Paul's material. And I'm growing just like you are. And I wake up every day and say, Jesus, hey, I want to see the way you see. I want to see the way you see Jesus. And I find in my life, listen to me, the moment I walk away from Jesus, the moment I walk out of here and I'm not hand in hand with Jesus, I begin to fall apart. You know, John Wesley said, and you can quote me on this, I think you told me this. John Wesley said, one moment without Jesus and I'm a devil again. We love you with all our heart, Jesus. Go with us this day and we ask it all in your name. Amen. Have fun. Don't get killed. (laughs) Be careful, okay? Don't get hurt today.